Hear the word of the Lord this morning from Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen? Exodus is arguably the most important redemptive historical event in the Old Testament. From it we learn that God is faithful to His promises. God's faithfulness in the past gives assurance of His faithfulness in the present and of His faithfulness in the future. And because of that, Exodus is absolutely crucial in understanding our faith and our salvation. If you're wondering if God can deliver you from bondage to sin, Exodus is here to remind you that God is faithful to His promises. If you ever question whether God will provide for your needs... Exodus is here to remind you that God is faithful to His promises. If you're feeling like evil in the world will triumph and swallow up the church, rendering her useless, Exodus is here to remind you that God is faithful to His promises. God's faithfulness in the past gives us assurance of His faithfulness in the present and of His faithfulness in the future. This is the way that the saints in Scripture used the Exodus event. In Psalm 77 and 78, Asaph recalled the Exodus and he he said, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. There's the past. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. What mighty deeds will you meditate on, Asaph? The mighty deeds of the Exodus. Not only will he meditate on them, but Asaph says he will do what with them? In Psalm 78, he'll pass them on to the next generation and the generation following. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Telling the story, carrying it on, recounting God's faithfulness in the past to give assurance of God's faithfulness in the present and in the future. Prophet Isaiah did the same, offered the same kind of hope, recalling the past and giving hope for the future when he spoke to those who would go into exile and gave them the hope that they would come back saying in Isaiah 11, the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. You've got to love the uh, 
symbolism here. And will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. What was Isaiah saying? Isaiah was saying there's going to be another Exodus event. God is going to deliver His remnant, the exiles who are in bondage. He is going to exodus them back into the promised land because God is faithful to His promises. You recall the story in the Gospels of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration as His appearance changed before the three disciples. His face was altered and His clothing became dazzling white. And there He spoke with the prophet Elijah and Moses. Luke records for us in Luke chapter 9, verse 30, not only who Jesus spoke with, but what He spoke to them about. And behold, two men were talking with Him. Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory, listen to this, and spoke of His, literally the word in Greek is exodus. Spoke of Jesus' exodus, which He was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Not only was the exodus there to instill our Savior with hope at the time of His crucifixion, but also in the book of Revelation, we read that those who endure the tribulation are described with Exodus language as those who are standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands and they sing the song of Moses. Another reference to Exodus. Church, God is faithful to His promises. He has been faithful to His promises in the past, which gives us assurance of His faithfulness in the present and gives us assurance of His faithfulness in the future. So I want us to consider this question as we embark on this journey in study of the book of Exodus and ask the question, which I have already answered in short, when is God faithful? When is God faithful? Faithful, And let's look at this passage in the book of Exodus and see God's faithfulness in the past, in the present, and in the future. First, let's begin by looking at the past. God has been faithful in the past. The first word in the book of Exodus, in verse 1, is not these. That is not the first word in the book of Exodus. The first word in the book of Exodus is, and these. It is a, for those of you who study Hebrew, a vav consecutive there in verse 1. And these. It's an interesting way. We don't ordinarily start out a new book with the word and doing. But it's important. And these are the names of the sons of Israel. It is letting us know that we are stepping into a story that has already been taking place. God has been faithful to His promises that we read throughout the book of Genesis. And because of His past faithfulness, 
he is acting because of his covenant with Israel. And these are the names of the sons of Israel. There in the book of Genesis, we learn about the first gospel, Genesis 3.15, where uh, the curse was declared upon uh, humanity and God made a promise that one of the sons of Adam and Eve will mortally bruise the head of the serpent. The serpent will bruise his heel, but that son will bruise the head of the serpent. And so we're left with this question as we read throughout the book of Genesis. Is this the son that's been promised in Genesis 3.15? We're asking ourselves that each and every time. So when Cain and Abel are born, we're wondering, is this the son? And then sin enters into the picture and we learn that this was in fact not the son. We see the, the promise given to Noah and we're wondering as we read the story of Noah, is this the son? God preserves Noah and his family. He enters into a covenant with Noah and his family. And then what happens? Sin and death. We read the story, finally, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we are asking ourselves, is this the son through whom the promise of God will be carried forth? God had given to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob a promise that their family would be blessed. Genesis 15.5, you know the text. The Lord tells Abraham, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. God had given great promises to Abraham that his family would become numerous. And Abraham received these promises. Genesis 15.6, we know the verse. Abraham did what? He believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. He had faith in the promises of God. When God changed Abraham, Abram's name to Abraham, He told him, I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abraham really hadn't had many kids yet at this point. And God tells him, I've made you the father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring and, your, and their offspring to be God to you and your offspring. I will give to you and to your offspring the land of your sojournings. And so we see these promises yet to be realized. And this is where we find Abraham's family. God had preserved them. God had preserved them through famine. As we read at the end of the book of Genesis, that the whole land was facing famine, and yet God had preserved them. And so we read, at the beginning of the book of Exodus, a genealogy, an exact quote from Genesis 46, verse 8, a description of Abraham's family in Egypt, who had come to Egypt, all 12 sons and their household. And not only that, but you have to love verse 5, the reference, that at this point in time, there are only how many people? 70. What about all the promises from God to Abraham? This isn't a multitude yet. It will be soon, won't it? What begins with 70 will end with a multitude too great to even number. 
But there they are in Egypt, 70 persons. And Joseph was already in Egypt. God had sent him ahead to provide for Abraham's family. All this was according to God's plan. Even though the sin and the betrayal of Joseph and his brothers, we know was all in accordance with God's providence, don't we? How does Genesis end? Genesis 50, verse 20. What does Joseph say to his brothers who tried to kill him, who planned to kill him and then sold him off into slavery? What did, what did he say? You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is the story that we're entering into as we begin our study of the book of Exodus. It is a story of God's faithfulness in the past. I'm going to ask you to do something right now. A little exercise right here in the middle of this sermon. I want you to think of a time in your life when God was faithful to you. I want you to recall that. I want you to bring that back to the forefront of your memory. I want you to allow the difficulty, the hardship and the pain of that time, the stress of that time, the uncertainty of that time to settle in on you for a moment. I want you to remember that. Maybe you want to write it down on a piece of paper in the bulletin or even in a margin of your Bible somewhere. I want you to think about that moment. I want you to think about that time. And then what I want you to do is recall how God enabled you to persevere through it. Write it down. Remember it. Tell the story to yourself. Tell the story to your children or grandchildren. Tell the story to your nieces and nephews. Tell the story of God's past faithfulness in your life to those who are around you. Tell the story of God's faithfulness to those with whom you attend church. Tell the story of God's faithfulness to those kids in Sunday school. Tell the story of God's faithfulness to those friends and relatives of yours who are not Christians. Maybe you're the kind of person who feels like you never look back. You ever heard of that kind of statement? Oh, I never look back. I always look ahead. Never look back. I always look ahead just focused on what is coming down the road. That is not a biblical perspective. Exodus begins by calling our attention to God's faithfulness in the past. This is not the only place in Scripture that this happens. Two verses that I think are especially noteworthy as we consider this. Romans 15.5. Listen to Romans 15.5. For whatever was written in former days. When is that? That's the past, isn't it? Paul says, whatever was written in former days was written for what? Our instruction. 
that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. What's Paul saying? We recall the past faithfulness of God that has been inscripturated for us, and it fills us with hope as we consider the present circumstances of our life. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Peter writes, Therefore I intend always to remind you. When is that? What are you doing if you're reminding someone of something? When is that? Past, present, or future? It's past, isn't it? Peter says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities that though you know them, you ever remind someone of something and they say to you, I know, our house has a case of the I knows. If you knew, why is your room so messy right now? Even though you know them, Peter says, and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of what? Reminder. Recalling God's faithfulness in the past. Recalling God's faithfulness to the past and remembering that God is faithful to His promises. That's the story of the book of Exodus. That's the God that we see in the book of Exodus. It is a God who is faithful to His promises in the past. When is God faithful? God has been faithful in the past. When else is God faithful? You know the answer, don't you? Not only is God faithful in the past, when else is He faithful? God is faithful in the present. That's number two that we're going to see in this text. God is faithful in the present. I want you to look at verse 6. The plot thickens in verse 6, as you might say. What happens to this family of Abraham, these 70 persons who have gone to Egypt to escape the famine. What happened to all them? What's their story? Verse 6 tells us, Then Joseph, he died. All his brothers, they died. And all that generation that belonged to that family, what happened? They died. Their present circumstances. We haven't even looked at the issue of them being enslaved yet. But their present circumstances would challenge, would seem to challenge for us the promises that God has made in the past. How is this family going to become a great nation with a multitude of nations if everybody keeps dying off? Here they are, they are dying. And Exodus is here to remind us that death cannot hinder God's promises. You need to hear that this morning. Death cannot hinder God's promises. Even though the family of Abraham had experienced this death, everyone had died. Yet, verse 7, what has happened to this family? The people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. This is blessing to the superlative degree, 
you might say. Moses, the author of Exodus, is recalling Genesis language. The same kind of language that you read in Genesis 1 and Genesis 9 and Genesis 28, where God in His covenant promises calls His people to be fruitful and multiply, fill and subdue the earth. Here you see it in Exodus chapter 1 that this is happening. God is fulfilling His promises in the present for Israel. They were fruitful and increased greatly to the superlative degree. Doug Stewart comments on this. Great scholar, Dr. Doug Stewart writes, Moses packed into the verse every possible way of saying that the Israelites rapidly increased in number. The Hebrew literally reads, here's Dr. Stewart's translation, as for the Israelites, they grew. They were fruitful. They swarmed. They increased. They got powerful more and more and the land was filled with them. The land of Egypt, it's swarming with Israelites. Why? God's promises. Dr. John Currid, who teaches at Reformed Theological Seminary, writes, Egypt is simply overflowing with them. The original Hebrew employs the repetition of the adverb very to reflect an absolute superlative sense. Adverb upon adverb upon adverb upon adverb. God was increasing the Israelites greatly. And they aren't even in the promised land yet. Here they are in a foreign land. Everyone in the family has died. And yet God's promises stand. And He continues to bless them. Like children, we are so quick to forget God's faithfulness in the past when we face present difficulties. I'm a father of four children. Sometimes I think that my children have forgotten that their parents provide, oh, I don't know, everything for them. They ask for food like we haven't just filled their bellies every day for the last eight years. You've never missed a meal. You've never missed a snack. You've never missed a drink. Calm down. We're going to feed you. You act like we haven't provided clothing for you. You act like we haven't provided you a climate-controlled home to live in. Every need, every medical need, everything that we could do has been provided for you. Don't forget God's faithfulness in an instant just because you're going through a difficulty and a hardship in the present moment. How quick we run to the you-nevers. Oh, you never let me. Oh, really? Let me recount for you the faithfulness of the Lord. How He redeemed you and saved you. How He enabled you to persevere through hardship and difficulty. We're going to read in Exodus chapter 2 that the Israelites, they become enslaved. And what do they do? Groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery, Moses recounts, came up to God. It came up to God, and God did what? 
He heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew, is what Moses says. So their cry comes up and even though God is, is sovereign and holy and separate from His creation, their cry comes up to God and God sees, He knows their plight, their difficulty, their oppression, their trials, their hardship. And God is faithful to them in the present. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, times have not changed. God has not changed. Just as He has been faithful in the past, He continues to be faithful in the present. Not just in a general sense of His gracious providence, but also in a special sense, in the way in which He calls us. The promises of salvation that God has given in the covenants of the past, they still bear fruit in the present. They are still present for us today. You remember Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. He recounts the Abrahamic covenant and says, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. The promises from God in the past and His faithfulness in the past bear fruit for us in the present. They're for you today, dear Christian. God's promises of salvation, God's promises of grace, God's promises of perseverance, God's promises of faithfulness. They're not just in a land long ago and far away. God is faithful to His promises today. In the present in which we live in. When is God faithful? Well, God is faithful when? In the past. He's faithful when? In the present. And, I bet you know the third point, don't you? When else is God faithful? God's faithful in the future. Think it appropriate for us to just wrap our minds around what's going to happen in the story of Exodus. What is to come, you might say. There's two big blocks. Two, outline, uh, two points of an outline, you might say. If you want to outline Exodus, here's how a good way to outline Exodus. Here's what we're going to see. Exodus chapters 1-19, through 19, Israel is being delivered from slavery and service to Pharaoh. God's going to deliver them. He's going to set them free with many mighty deeds and wonders and signs. God is going to deliver them from their service to Pharaoh in chapters 1-19. through 19. And then when we get to chapters 20-40, through 40, we're going to see that they have been delivered from service to Pharaoh so that they can be in service to God. <laughs> they are going to be delivered from service to Pharaoh, chapters 1-19, through 19, so that they can do what? So that they can be in service to God, chapters 20-40. through 40. Listen to God's promise to them. Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, I will take you to be My people, and I will be your God. Your slaves... 
Now, God says to them, but you're my people. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. What's God promising to them? He's promising to bring them into covenant with Himself. Instead of being slaves, they shall, Exodus 19.6, be to me as kingdom, as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What a transformation in the book of Exodus. They are going from slaves and servants of Pharaoh to a holy nation, a kingdom of priests in service unto God. This is not only the future promises that we see for those who live through the Exodus, but it's also for the audience who received the book of Exodus. Who received the book of Exodus? Do you ever think about that? Who were among the first readers? of the book of Exodus. Most likely, it, were the, it was those offspring of the children of Israel who were to enter into the promised land. Isn't that interesting? God gives to Moses a book for them, recounting the wonderful works of God in the past, the promises of covenant in the present, to give them hope for God's faithfulness as they face all the challenges of entering into the promised land in the future. I want you to think about your lawn right now. I want you to think about your grass for a moment at your house. What color is your lawn right now? It's brown, isn't it? Is it lush and green and beautiful? No, what color is it? It's tan. It's gray. It's, it looks ugly, doesn't it? Let me ask you a question. Is your lawn dead right now? Some of you do have a dead lawn right now. Some of you might have portions of a dead lawn right now. But overall, is your grass dead right now? No. What's happening with your lawn right now? It's dormant isn't it? Why is it dormant? What season are we in? In Georgia, we call this winter. I don't know what to think of it. There was pollen on my car this morning. It's February and there's pollen. Even though our yards might look dead, that doesn't mean they're dead. They're just dormant right now. Soon, warmer days will come. And the spring rains will come. And what's going to happen? It's going to green, green right up and grow and flourish and be fruitful as the seasons change and as the sun shines upon it. We will go through seasons in our lives, dear Christians, when God's promises appear dead. They will absolutely appear hopeless to us at the present moment. Don't let your eyes deceive you. Just because God's promises appear dead 
they might just be in a dormant season for you right now. At the appointed time, at God's appointed time, when will that be? I don't know. But at the appointed time, the Son of God's grace will shine upon you. And those promises will come to fulfillment and flourish in your life. It's as certain as the seasons, isn't it? Isn't God so gracious? He's given us special revelation, this plan of redemption, but He's also given us general revelation. We can look out into the book of nature and see that just as the sun rises and sets, just as the seasons change, just as the tides come in and go out, so God's promises go through seasons as well. And just because they are dormant for a season does not mean God's promises of salvation and of perseverance are dead. God is faithful to His promises. Just as He has been faithful in the past, let God's past faithfulness give you assurance for His faithfulness in your present difficulties and fill you with hope for God's faithfulness in the future. God's grace is so good, isn't it? It's so extraordinary. We read in the book of Exodus, some people call the book of Exodus, you know what they call the book of Exodus? The Gospel according to Moses. It's good news for us in the Old Testament. It's a picture for us of God's faithfulness to His covenant. Of how He calls and saves a people for Himself. And even through great hardship and trial and difficulty, even death, God provides for them and preserves them and delivers them from slavery to sin and brings them from a slave to a priest in service to a holy God. It's an extraordinary story. It's going to take a while to get through it. But by God's grace, we'll be edified in our study of it. Let's go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace and for Your mercy. We thank You for Your faithfulness. We thank You that Your faithfulness has been preserved for us in the testimony of Scripture. We have an Old Testimony and we have a New Testimony. And there we read of a God who is always faithful to His promises. Lord, I pray for us this morning as a church that You would fill us with hope for the present trials and the future as we look upon it and know that You are a God who is faithful, who can be trusted, to whom we can depend. And Lord, I pray that even though the, the promises might appear dead for a time. Lord, I pray that You would encourage us that they're just dormant. <laughs> and that You will, at Your appointed time, bring forth shining the sun of Your grace. And Your promises will bear fruit in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.